everybody, welcome back to Bayou Chronicles. I'm your host, Crystal, and this week, again, we are joined by my amazing, handsome, sweet husband, Tyler. Oh, you're too nice. Sometimes, I'm too nice. Sometimes. <laughs> um, hopefully, we are on the downward slope of guest host until Bethany is back, She actually did a lot of research for this case today. Um, It's Florida week, so it's only right that Bethany does most of the research for the Florida case, right? Like, she's the reason we have Florida and Louisiana cases every month. So, hopefully the cicadas and the cars driving by at a ridiculous high rate of speed kind of lend its charm to the ambiance that we have tonight um sounds like we're outside i know they are so loud and i don't understand (laughs) why they are so loud but it literally sounds like there's like cicadas outside of our window or we are just recording this podcast outside so i'm gonna go with the latter let's just pretend we're outside um so yeah It's a Florida wheat case. Um, You know, they're always the craziest ones. I am pretty convinced that if it's crazy, it happens in Florida. And actually, Tyler, this is your first case that is like an actual, like, people get killed case, isn't it? Yeah, it is. (gasps) Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. The other one I was on was the uh, Malaysian flight. And then you did your basketball win. Yeah, which, not going to lie kind of watching the question conference finals right now while this is happening so um that's cheating you're supposed to give it your undivided attention sir i I am giving it my undivided attention but you're watching basketball yeah i'm giving the clippers and Suns my undivided attention and giving you what's left (sighs) whatever (laughs) i'm done okay bye i'm so done okay so Bethany have, has in the notes, and I'm going to read part of her notes because I thought it was cute. She says that we need to record an episode on Florida Man, um, the whole phenomenon that is Florida Man. I have to agree. So, Bethany, when you listen to this episode, that is going to be one of your topics. You need to do it um, because Florida is crazy. But I was all saying all of that just to say that the dream team, Bethany and I, are almost back together. Um, we definitely appreciate all the patience, all of the changes that we've made in the past couple of months. Bethany will be officially back in June. She actually should uh, be. This is June. Uh, sorry, July. <laughs> Jeez. I don't know why anyone thought it was a good idea to put two J months back to back. Whatever. July. <laughs> But we appreciate all the guest hosts and everybody that we had on during her absence. But there is no partner like my partner in crime. That's right. Yeah. Nobody like me. Tyler. I'm your partner. So. You are my life partner. Exactly. Nobody like me. Bethany is my true podcast partner. Yeah, she's not like me, though. No, she's not like you. But anyway. I'm not arguing with you. This is not a place where people come to listen to us argue. I'm pretty sure people enjoy it. I know that Bethany is thankful for everyone who's helped me 
um, during this crazy time. Um, I think it's definitely been fun having other people on it, but I'm really, really, really ready to just get back to me and Bethany. I miss our Taco Bell dates. I miss our just goofing off and making TikToks before we record. Like, I just miss our girl time. And it can really just be a lot of stress for one person. Um, To be completely honest, it's just, it's a lot for me. And I typically record these the day before they're due because, you know, life happens. But anyway... Before we get started, don't forget to head over to Twitch and drop us a follow now that Bethany is making her return in July, not June, July. We will be continuing on our monthly streams, and once we do hit those 50 followers, we are going to give away some merch. So stay tuned for that. Make sure to go give us a like. Interact with us on social media. Um, we're definitely present there, so give us a shout out. Um... This week's episode is going to be a strange one. Everything is always strange in Florida, though, as I've said before. Sometimes with these cases, it's a little hard to decipher what's really happening. Um, Florida is known as a big dumping ground, and that's just where people, a lot of people just, like, I guess, just basically dump their bodies. Like, they'll kill them and... Florida, or they'll kill them in Georgia, Alabama, or whatever, and then just drive them into Florida. You know why, though? Well, I mean, you have the swamps. And yeah, you gators. Have, yeah, and you have a lot of water, and of course, it's a really good, easy way to kill people. <laughs> um, so, if I jump around a little bit in this episode, please forgive me. I'm going to try not to. I tried to write this kind of um, linearly, that it made sense in a story. Um but enjoy. Tyler, please don't get too freaked out. I tried to tone down some language so I didn't freak you out and you didn't go, ew. Um, so I ew. tried to write this as someone to read to someone if I was telling the story of someone who doesn't like true crime. But they wanted to know about what was going on. Okay. Does that make sense? I got you. Okay. So let's flash back to the middle of the 1990s, which was like 25 years ago, number one, which if that doesn't freak you out. Like, what do you consider the mid-90s? Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> I'm the just... mid-90s would be anywhere from like 94. 95, 95 is the mid-90s. 94 <laughs> to like 97. 90, but, 90, 91, 92, and 93 are early, early 90s, and 98 and 99 would be late 90s, maybe even 97. Yeah, but like 95 is like... Oh my god, Tyler, David, I do not have time to deal with this today. <laughs> so we're going to flash back to the mid-1990s, and police are finding the bodies of young men. And I'm sure for most people, the question on everyone's mind is, are they just being dumped here, or does Florida have yet another serial killer living within its borders? And if y'all don't know, Florida has quite a few, not necessarily serial killers, because there is a very particular definition to what a serial killer is. Um... But as far as people who have committed several murders, 
there have been several people in Florida. Mm. I'll be honest, when I was first told about this case, I wasn't expecting something. I guess I just wasn't expecting what I expect, what I got. Um, for some reason, in my mind, when we discussed like doing this case, I kind of just pictured a person in a hog mask mm-hmm. from like the Saw movies. Um, uh, like a man running around these like nature trails wearing a pig head killing people because this murder this murder this killer is kind of known like as the term hog trail killer and so like I kind of put that in my head yeah but like the whole hog trail like I mean I can see where you got that from because that's like what I think it is yeah it's just like some weirdo just like yo let me act like I'm in a movie and just wear a hog mask and go people. Yeah. And I probably got that from scary movies, and that's probably why I think that way. Um, but that's not what it is. It just happens to be called that because there is a nature trail where these people, like local people, would set traps and shoot and catch um, hogs, and that is just kind of the area is known as hog trail and so it just became known as the hog trail killer it's not that exciting but to start off the story one morning two maintenance like city maintenance workers were on this trail when they discovered a body but well not so much as a body but like the skull of a man they both saw the human skull sticking out of the ground and immediately called the sheriff's department obviously or the police the sheriff's department naturally blocked off the area and called in a forensic team now the hardest part when finding human remains like this is finding out exactly what happened to the person because you're trying to figure out if they were dumped this way did the natural elements get to them did an animal come by and break down the body and you kind of just are crossing your fingers that the CSI gods shine down upon you, leaving you just like this crumb of evidence to who the skull could belong to, what happened, you know, obvious things like being like a wallet with identification and it would be a freaking godsend at this point. But sadly, nothing like that was found inside the crime scene or around the surrounding area in the woods. However, there was a small pink thread that was found dangling off a nearby branch, kind of close to the ground, and roughly 50 to 100 yards from where they found the skull, they see um, what was described as like carpet padding, so like the pads that you put underneath the carpet, Mm. laying um, beneath a couple of trees. And inside of that was the body of a young man like another young man who um did show signs of trauma on his body like he had like um ligature marks all over his body and his genitalia had been removed (laughs) (laughs) yes painful Um, nearby this they also find the torso that they assume belongs to the skull um okay hold on hold on one second Yes. So you're telling me, from just what we're going off right now, this dude is like 
mutilating all these bodies. Yes. Yes. <sighs> he is. Okay. Okay. So this okay. torso that they found did have some identification marks on it. And hmm. cases like this are extremely difficult to work. You're pretty much just at the mercy of the elements. Fully outside, no enclosed space. The head was separated from the body. And more than likely, it was dragged off by animals. Like, animals had gotten to it. The body that was the torso, like the torso of the body, it was extremely extremely decomposed it's florida it's hot and humid weather that is definitely going to speed up um decay and forensics will just have to work harder to give somewhat of a timeline of when he died so you have to take all that into effect now they were able to make out a tattoo on the torso shoulder and at this point, they didn't have much to go on other than the two bodies and no names and, you know, this tattoo that they found. They gave a picture of the tattoo to the local news outlets and let them run it during their scheduled times. The tattoo was a little odd, and it pretty much just looked like a series of squiggly lines with kind of two symbols above it. It was super unique. And immediately a woman calls in and says that the tattoo looks identical to the one that her brother who was missing has. Hmm. And people, this is why it is very, very important to visit the dentist regularly. Thanks to dental records, that's how they were able to identify that the skull and torso belong to 25-year-old Kenneth, or Kenny as his friends and family called him, Smith. And so, yeah, that's how they found him. Now, during the autopsy, it was determined that the second body belonged to 21-year-old Richard Montgomery. And his mom, Mary West, talked really highly of her son. She says that he had his own problems, like all young people do. But he was, you know, still trying to be a good kid. Mary said that Richard was trying to do better and had plans to join the army because he wanted to kind of better his life. But this unfortunately would be cut short when he got trapped in ultimately the web that this killer spun. On April 16th, 1996 Richard was hanging out with some friends when he mentioned that he had to leave and go make some money. Fully aware of his, I guess you would call it, like, alternative lifestyle, they jokingly asked if he was going to make that money legally or illegally. His friends reported that he smiled when they said this and just laughed and walked away, and he would ultimately never be seen again. The medical examiner determined that Richard was strangled and tied naked to a tree. Mm. These specifics of the case led the police to connecting other possible cases um, to this one. Um, and that kind of just gave them an idea that maybe this wasn't just a singular isolated event. They, so mm -hmm. they started looking back. The sheriff's department had reported to these areas before due to bodies and body parts being found. One of the first was a body found in the, of, in the woods of Punta Gorda in Charlotte County that would just be labeled as John Doe for about 27 years. 
The body was originally found February 4th of 1994 by a construction company worker, and it had already been exposed to the elements for over a month. So this body was extremely decomposed. Most notably, the body had rope burns on like his arms and wrists, and his genitalia had also been removed. Years later, in 2013, they would submit dental work from John Doe, which will be referred to as John Doe Number 1, to officially be tested. It took about seven years for it to find a match. Now, granted, I don't know very much, and I know very little about DNA testing, but seven years, like, that's crazy. Um, that's how long it took to process a single tooth and put it into this database. For some reason, I guess, my mind worked a little bit faster than that. Um, but maybe I am kind of misunderstanding what all happened. Um, so basically what happened was a forensic anthropologist, Heather Wash Haney, she submitted this tooth to the University of North Texas, um, in their center of human identification where they would process it for entry into the databases of the national missing and unidentified persons and another one called the combined DNA index system. It wouldn't be until December of 2020 that police would be told that there was actually enough DNA in the sample that could be sent off for DNA sequencing and could possibly be used for a family match. Okay, so like this to happen like seven months ago. Yes, this is incredibly recent. Because basically what this system is, is they process all of this information in the individual DNA of the tooth, for example, and put it in the National Missing Identified Persons database and this other database. And so if there's ever any DNA from a missing body or whatever they can um or from a person and they have that person's dna let's say you went missing but they found a body and they could test those and see if they were a match well in this particular case there was enough dna that could be used as a sample that they could sequence the dna Mm -hmm. to use it to see if there was someone that is related to that person out there that they could compare that DNA against to get a match, right? Okay. Because they didn't mis- maybe not necessarily have his DNA. Yeah. So in the case that most people don't know, I don't mean I don't know if you do or don't, but one of the ways that they can look for family matches is by checking DNA databases where you submit your own DNA, like to find out where your family came from, like what we did. So they basically tap into those results and te- and like can compare this missing person's DNA to the DNA that you've submitted. And in a crazy turn of events, the detectives actually receive a lead from Ancestry.com of all places. Oh, nice. Uh, A young girl that turned out to be John Doe's niece had submitted her DNA years before, and it was a familial match. This led to police, to more relatives, and eventually John Doe's sister and brother who also donated some of their dna to get a match so they ultimately were able to find a match and discover his name and so john doe number one would find would turn out to be a man named jerry lombard of massachusetts his family hadn't heard from him since 91 92 
he was known to travel a lot and just go off by himself for an extended period of time. So now we know who this man is, we just don't know who killed him. A couple of years later, while outside in their yard, a family dog brought over his own brought over to his owner a human skull. So just imagine you're outside and a dog brings over a human skull. Obviously you'd be freaking out because I would be. I would deny that it was even human. But a search of the area uh, by police resulted in them finding body parts of another body and it was enough for them to determine and put together that, that the body was actually mutilated in the same way as John Doe, as the John Doe that was previously found. So at this point, they still did not know that Jerry Lombard obviously was who he was. He was John Doe number one. So the second body would be referred to as John Doe number two. Hmm. Two months after the body of John Doe number two was found, another mutilated body was found in Northport, Florida. This time the body was really recent and the medical examiner thought that he had been killed less than two weeks prior to being found. For a short time, this body would be referred to as John Doe number three until he was identified as John William Mel Lagar. No, that sounds, I had to say that really slow. Mel Lagarno. I'm bad at last names, guys. I'm so sorry. Um, John... <laughs> who was, yeah, John Doe number three, so John, he was, since his body was the, I hate to say freshest, that sounds very crude of me, but because his body was more recently killed, they were able to see more of the attack wounds on his body. For instance, they were able to identify certain marks on his body that were caused by foliage to imply that maybe he had ran and escaped from his person at one point in time and had ran through the woods shirtless only to be caught and ultimately stabbed and then he was then mutilated. Mm. After the bodies of Kenny and Richard, so the bodies that I mentioned at the beginning, after they were found, witnesses started to claim that a man named Daniel Conahan may be responsible for these murders. Another man named Stanley Burden was a convicted pedophile who was in prison and who claimed that it was Daniel who had assaulted him years prior in a statement that he had made to police. Stanley told a story years ago that started with Daniel offering him $150 to pose nude. Needing some cash, Stanley agreed and got into the car with Daniel as they headed out to the middle of nowhere. When they got to a quiet, kind of secluded, away from everyone's spot, Daniel pulled out this duffel bag that had like a tarp, some rope, and a Polaroid camera. And we gotta remember, this was the early to mid-1990s. Porn was not everywhere like it was today. Like it was, but not in the easily accessible way that it is today. And you still have to think this is the mid, early to mid-90s. So if Daniel is wanting to have pictures of naked men that's still a little stigmatized, you couldn't also just take these kind of pictures on any old camera. You would 
physically have to take that film and get it developed in a store. And for the most part, the people who developed the film would see your pictures. Mm -hmm. So it's a little weird if you're having porn and getting it developed and that's just kind of strange so you're not going to do that so the best option was a polaroid and it kind of just gives you that instant gratification of i just took this picture and here it is yeah so it's like a very early version of our cell phones Uh, according to stanley daniel asked him if he had ever taken any bdsm pictures and this is when he kind of talked Stanley into coming over to a tree so that he could tie him up with clothesline. And basically what he wanted him to do was put his back against the tree and put his arms behind the tree and then he would tie him up and then take the pictures. As soon as he got him tied, this is kind of when he Daniel flipped and he immediately started trying to sexually assault Stanley and tried to sodomize him. Stanley kind of goes into great detail with the sexual assault and everything that he um, does to Stanley. To me, the part that, like, I guess when I say traumatized me the most, that's a really strong term. It did not traumatize me at all. Made me sad was his description of Daniel trying to pull him off to the side of the tree so that he could rape him. And he said that he just fought, and he fought, and he fought, and his sole goal in his mind was to stay and keep his body in the center of the tree so that he could not attack him. Finally giving up on the sexual assault, Daniel wrapped a rope around Stanley's neck. He put a foot up against the tree trunk and started pulling and trying to strangle Stanley. They fought for nearly 30 minutes. Huh? Yes. Can you imagine trying to strangle someone for nearly 30 minutes? Like, that's a long time. I mean, I don't... I apologize if I offend anyone when I say this, but if I actually seriously want to kill somebody and strangle them, it's not going to take me 30 minutes to try to do it. You know? Okay, well, Tyler, this is where the true crime person comes in. It takes a long time to strangle someone. It is not very easy. Um, a lot of the cases that we talk about on here where someone is strangled, it does take a long it does take a long time. It doesn't take a long time for a person to become unconscious. They only need to have a few mi- a few seconds of no oxygen to become unconscious but to physically strangle well someone, yeah i mean that's that's what i'm saying like if but he if was... he's fighting and he's being strangled but he's fighting the entire time it is very plausible that it takes 30 minutes yeah like you have to you i think you're thinking of someone who's maybe like a child or someone who's very defenseless but if you're an able-bodied man you are going to fight like hell, and it's going to take a long time. It's not going to be a quick and easy thing. This isn't a movie where okay. they can just snap someone's neck. Yeah, I, I know that, but here's here's my whole thing, okay? In this duffel bag, you had said that he had rope and everything like that, so my sick, twisted mind automatically says, well, why not tie him up? He was tied up. To the so 
he, he, he was obviously tie, he, he was obviously tied couldn't up to have a been tree. tied up his to the tree. His arms well. were tied up behind the tree. Okay, so they were around the tree and tied up. And then Daniel's in front of him. Or behind, I think he was I think he was in front. No, he was behind him. I'm sorry. He was behind him. Mm-hmm. Had a rope around the tree and around him. Mm-hmm. He put his foot against the tree. And, and was pulled. pulling on the rope. Yes. But he was but Stanley was still fighting and fought for thirty minutes. I don't think this is this did not deserve this much conversation. Well no no no. I'm just because my whole thing is if his arms are tied, you know, to his side basically, and he's not using his hands to stop the rope from going against his neck. How did he fight for 30 minutes? I mean, there's plenty. I don't know, Tyler. He just did. Like, he was fighting. What do you do when you fight? You squirm. He could have been trying to climb up the tree to, like, get more, get his shoulders into I'm just, the, into between the rope. And I guess. That. He could be squirming down. He could just be moving so much that it's not getting any traction. There's a lot of things. When you're fighting for your life you are literally doing whatever you can do and 30 minutes is a long time but several of the other stories that we have told people fought for hours fighting their attacker off i don't know just and it just happens and until you're in that situation you're not gonna know yeah i'm just but you're fighting for your life it's not a tv show it's not a movie where somebody can come up behind them with a wire and choke them and they're they're dead in 30 seconds like that's not how it works it takes a long time to suffocate someone mm-hmm. but either way regardless of all of that <laughs> we'll talk about that later finally daniel gave up and asked stanley point blank very angrily why would he not just die literally just looked at him and says will you not die just die <laughs> And he got mad, he grabbed his stuff, and he got into his car and left. So at this point, Stanley is tied up to the tree by himself. And he's eventually able to manage to get himself free after a while. And hitched a ride and got back to the police station and reported this. Now, the case went unsolved until Stanley heard about the body of Richard being found and came forward again, stating, you know, that a lot of things that he was seeing about this case was very similar to what happened to him several years prior. Now, Daniel Conahan was originally from North Carolina, but he was raised in Florida. He was a homosexual man. He was gay and was pretty much openly gay to his family and his friends. Hmm. He did join the Air Force, not the Air Force, I'm so sorry. He did join the Navy after high school, but you have to remember this was a don't ask, don't tell time. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like he was out in the military. His family knew and close friends knew, but that was really it. He only served less than two years before he was discharged for trying to force a man to have oral sex with him. Basically, Mm. he forced him. This guy got into it. They got into a fight. They threatened to court-martial him, and he was discharged. So, 
Obviously, he's a great person. Oh, absolutely. Great like guy. Best friend. Yeah, awesome guy. In 1995, um, back in Florida, he did become a licensed practical nurse and started working in Punta Gorda. Hmm. Knowing this information, police decided to set up a sting and catch Daniel. They had two officers pose as men in the park that Daniel was known to frequent. And one day, Daniel approached one of the officers and asked him if he would show him his penis for $7. Oh. I mean, I don't understand why it's exactly $7. Like, why not 5 Maybe that's... Why not 10 All the cash he had on him. But, like, $7? Like... But, like, the same day, same time... He went as far as asking the officer if he would let him perform oral sex on him for $20. So he obviously had more cash. He had more cash. So that's why the $7 was very confusing to me. And I think I'm hyper fixating on that for the wrong reasons. But the $7 is weird. That is super Uh, weird. So, yeah, that was strange. Um, Obviously, the officer said no. And the next day in the park, he approached the officer again and this time he offered him $120 to pose nude for photos. I mean, at this point, it's money, so, you know. Eh. I mean, had I known he was going to do all this, I probably wouldn't have gone before him for the $120, but $120 is $120, so, you know, you got to make that money somehow. Anyway. <sighs> Police, this is kind of where police really started using their investigation skills. They searched Daniel's car and got paint chips from his vehicle. And they compared them to paint chips that they recovered from Richard's body. Which is like super high tech to me. I know that probably isn't, but it really is to me. And surprise, they were a match. Hmm. bingo they got the sucker they kind of pretty much knew it was him but they wanted to make sure that this case was a slam dunk investigators pulled his credit card records or receipts or whatever you want to call them and found out that he had used his card to make a purchase at walmart and he purchased get this clothesline polaroid film pliers and a knife how in the world did the cashier not realize that this was a murder kit? Like, all Mid-1990s. I can think is, like, doop, doop. And she's just looking at it, ringing this doop. I mean. And thinking, oh, what's he going to go home and do with a clothesline Polaroid film pliers and a knife? Okay, so in his in the cashier's defense, this was in the mid-1990s, okay? Um, some people, obviously, would, and if. You are a 90s baby listening to this. I apologize. You may not understand what I'm saying. Um, clothesline, drying the clothes. Well, yeah. Blanket stuff outside, okay? Polaroid film, family photos maybe, okay? Pliers, hey, maybe used it for the clothesline. And a knife, maybe he just needed a knife. So it's not, and this was the mid-1990s, like you said. So, you know... TV and all these true crime stuff was not as evident and just in your face like it is today. So, no, it's weird. I'm 
Cashier defense. Okay, then I'm going to go buy clothesline, Polaroid film, pliers, and a knife from Walmart, and you tell me that's not weird. It's 2021. Of course you're going to be looked at weird. Oh, wait, you have you have self-checkout, so you know nobody can know. They, they have the little cameras. But anyway, <laughs> a few minutes later, at an ATM a couple blocks away from the Walmart, they caught him on film withdrawing cash. Strangely mm. enough. <laughs> so they were like, this dude is it. This dude's guilty. We got him. So after a 52-day, like, around-the-clock following that they did of this man. Oh, wow. They finally decided to arrest him. And on February 25th, 1997, Daniel was officially indicted for the murder of Richard. He actually waived his right to a trial by jury, Hmm. leaving the judge to deliver the official ruling, which feels very dangerous to me. But I have a feeling like maybe he thought he was so cocky and he thought he could win. I don't Mm -hmm. really know. However, Judge William Blackwell heard the case, retreated to his chambers, and after deliberating for 25 minutes, came out and announced his verdict. He had found Daniel guilty. Now, Daniel was successful in getting the um, sentencing hearing actually moved to another county, and a jury there actually recommended the death sentence. So, he was ultimately sentenced to death for the murder of only Richard Montgomery. He was not indicted for the murders of of Kenny. He was not indicted on the murders of John because there was no proof. They They didn't have anything that they could, you know, basically stick on him. They couldn't prove that he did it. So... Officially, he is currently in jail for Richard's death. For He was sentenced to death for the murder, 15 years for the kidnapping, and so on and so forth. But his official death count is one because they don't have proof that he committed the others. But they think that he's killed anywhere between mm, one, obviously being Richard, to as many as eight men. Um, they just don't have proof. So to me, this is a very this is kind of like the tool, the toolbox, not the toolbox. Oh my gosh, the toy, toy box. Shit, the toy box murders. My gosh, it is too late at night for me to be doing this. <laughs> um, where they never actually had any bodies, but it was pretty darn obvious that he had killed several people before. So this was a very similar situation to that. Um, he, like I said, he's still in prison today. They're still trying to figure out who John Doe number two is. His identity has never been found. You know, maybe in a couple of years we'll find that out too. But, yeah, that's this hog trail killer. Uh, not as cinematic as I thought in my head. But interesting nonetheless. Always a crazy Florida killer. Um, I hope you guys have a great night. Um, Enjoy the rest of your week, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Bye.